and welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who puts class in classified documents. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing good, Kieran. I appreciate the reference. I just need you to know, I literally haven't told you this. Last week, Dan Hasty, a West Michigan Whitecaps broadcaster, comes up to me and he's like, hey, tell Kieran next time you're going to like start the pod with something serious to not begin with a joke like calling you about girls calling you daddy or something like that. So I, I was talking about the athletic layoffs. So yeah. he got a kick out of that. It was a, one of our trademark awkward transitions. We did it right off the top. And shout out to Dan for appreciating it. Shout out to Dan always. Uh, love his work, love his presence on Tiger's Twitter. Also, in fairness, I thought we were doing that at the end. And so... <laughs> And it was Father's Day weekend, so I was like, "Oh, here's a nice little joke with Daddy in there." And and then you just went, "I, I was I, I told my wife, I was like, he fuck he killed that joke like right off the top." But it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> we don't do this live. We could have redone it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we let it roll. We let it roll. We are our authentic selves, 100 percent of the time here on Turning the Corner. Whew. Well, you know, another transition here. I thought we were going to have a much different podcast the majority of the day Sunday, Cody, and an errant throw to third changed everything. And uh, so now we got to talk about the Tigers taking two out of three against the Royals and looking in prime position to take two out of three against the division leading Twins. And there was a lot of talk this week with the home stand about, you know, we heard from the GM, which we were kind of, kind of, We'll get into that in a second. I don't know if we deserve credit for that or not, uh, but perhaps a little bit. We have AJ, a little bit. We have AJ talking big picture, and Scott talking to the media, giving up various updates and thoughts and on the goings of the team and whatnot. I I kind of want to start it this way, Cody. This is how there's a lot of angles we can take here. I want to start it this way. Was this a good or a bad or a medium week for one Scott Harris? Now, let me kind of talk this out for a second. So, I think it's fair to say he's not one that's going to, he's not going to want to like talk to the beat writers all that much, which is his right. That's, you know, not everybody, oper- a lot of people operate that way. It's not everybody's thing to constantly talk to media, nor really should he give like, you know, weekly press conferences or whatever. You got reinforcements coming on the team. Manning, Scooble's looking good. Eduardo had a really encouraging bullpen. And obviously the Eduardo thing is a big deal for his next month plus of work. Team wins a series against a team that they should. Really should have won the series against the Twins. And I, I'm, I'm thinking this out, and I can't help but remember something that your esteemed colleague, Brendan Quinn, wrote when he was talking about Tom Izzo and he said Tom Izzo tends to undersell his most talented teams I'm slightly paraphrasing Tom Izzo tends to slightly undersell his more talented teams and hype up his lesser talented teams that's just kind of how he goes about it and if and I was thinking about Scott Harris and I was like I don't really know what the move is along that criteria for him because the team's too middle the team is too middle. Like, they can find ways to win impressive series, go on streaks. They can also drop nine in a row. And they're in a just dog-awful division that's going to keep them in relative contention for, I think, a decent stretch here, especially with the reinforcements coming. So... That's why I say, was it a good, bad week for Scott Harris? Because if they had dropped everything, then you're just thinking about rebuild mode. You're thinking everything's going to be easier to trade. You had to make the move with Maton, which obviously we're going to talk about here in a second. Like I, I feel like this was a move where Scott did not get any sort of direction from the team about what is the the easiest path forward for the rest of the season in terms of building up this thing long term. I don't know if that makes sense. But I just kind of felt like there wasn't anything that happened that gave him, all right, boom, now I can go here. All right, now, boom, I can go this direction. So you were there. You talked to him. 
you know, what what did you kind of take a, take away from that? And then seeing this week, it, my theory makes sense that the team's a little too middle right now. Well, maybe the team is a reflection of its leader, or maybe their leader is a reflection of, of the team. Because, like the Tigers, I think there were some good and some bad moments for Scott Harris this week. Good, he finally came out and talked to the media. Bad, it did seem like that was kind of a response to public communications that had been lacking a little bit. Good, Eduardo Rodriguez. Best moment of the week, big picture, is that Eduardo seems to be healthy. Seems like he's going to be back well before the trade deadline. And you might have a chance to make some moves there. Bad, the one big trade you have made, Nick Maton, you know, part of that return, finally had to give up, finally had to uh, make the move and send him down. Calling up Tyler Nevin, people are fired up about that for, for not being like a bigger, better move. Just my quick take there. I don't want to waste a ton of energy on it because we spent, the writers spent a lot of time talking about that post game and all your different options like Parker Meadows, Johan Camargo. By the end of it, I had settled on Camargo because I think you can make a 40 man move. You face two lefties in Texas. He's a switch hitter. He can play the infield, whatever. But none of the options were great, right? Meadows is like probably the one that's best for copy and the one people are going to tune into. But if you think Parker Meadows is going to come up and just kill it right away in the big leagues, eh, uh, you might need a reality check there. Camargo, he is just kind of another one of these, you know, Costco brand guys that you're bringing in, although he does have some major league experience. You know, Nevin, of course, we've already seen him. He hasn't been great in his short stay in the big leagues. That's where we're at. That's that's a reflection of your farm system, which is a reflection of something else. So um, that's all a way of saying, like, I don't know. I think I'm still figuring out a little bit of what to make of these, the Scott Harris regime. I do think, like, the honeymoon shine has wore off a little bit. But then if you really pan out, like, I don't know, like Zach McKinstry, pretty good pickup. Tyler Holton, pretty good pickup. Maybe Maton didn't work out. Maybe a couple of these other guys didn't work out. But he's brought a couple of players in through his on-the-margin strategy. You could argue he's already done that better than Alavila ever, ever did. Um, so those are some of my initial reactions to the question you posed. Okay, so here's the thing. Like, I understand shine wearing off and i understand being critical because we were to a certain extent and i think we were fair i think we were fair of his uh public presence or lack thereof i believe that you had put it in the story it's like he's not typically like chumming it up like at like batting practice or whatever which which to be real clear like that's not what he has to do it's not what anyone is asking scott harris to like you said he doesn't have to do a weekly sit down although Back when Terry Ryan was GM of the Twins, he talked to the writers every single day, which is really a way of saying, like, there are different ways to do this. Not everyone has the same strategy. I think maybe what we've seen with Scott, this is his first time doing it, man. He's learning. There are a lot of aspects of this job to learn, and I think he would like to be well-perceived by the public and the media and is also doesn't want to be super public facing. So how do you reconcile those two things? How do you strike that middle ground and find that balance? There are some GMs, Jeff Luna, when he was running the Astros, I don't think he gave a damn what anyone thought about him. Uh, I think Scott Ayers does care what people think, but he's not going to be the guy who's in front of the camera a lot, or even, I don't necessarily think it's so much about the media as it is the fan base. I'll tell you, Scott Harris talked, talked for 13 minutes, covered some good topics, it's not like he said anything super groundbreaking or newsworthy, but it was my most read like daily Tiger story in the past month. So clearly people care what he has to say. Yeah, and like if I were to like give advice to Scott and put it in sort of like broad terms, it would be, look, dude, you got to understand like what the fan is always looking for. And what I mean by that is, like, look at his, you know, former mentor, Theo, Mm -hmm. Theo Epstein. Part of his appeal, like, his appeal wasn't just success, right? Part of his appeal was, you know, he's a younger guy. That was was part of it. Scott's a younger guy, but it's not his novelty anymore. But, you know, like, 
younger guy, kind of forward thinking. People kind of understood like he was doing something a little different way because he he played that up in public. And I'm not saying I know how exactly to give Scott a roadmap for that, but people aren't just going to root for you or invest emotionally in you, which is, you know, you're controlling their favorite team, right? They're emotionally investing in you and your work. Like they want to, they just want to know a little bit about you. Like, why should I, you know, why should I root for Scott Harris to succeed besides the fact that he runs the Tigers? Like there, there are things that you can show about yourself that through whether it's like a story with, you know, a trusted reporter or some monthly interview with Dan Dickerson that goes on the radio during like a pregame show that just kind of like, just talk about you, the guy, and that's going to resonate with people. So there's a way to do it. It's been done a million different ways. You can find one that makes you more comfortable. And the fact of the matter is like at this time, the team that you knew that you were rebuilding for the long term, the winning was going to not come immediately. Right? So you have to have some other way to, uh, to reach people, to, to get people to get behind you. And I do think that some of the criticisms are dumb because, you know, like what I say about Spencer Torkelson, can we give him two full major league seasons? I would, you know, the GM, the president of baseball ops equivalent of that is, I don't know, can we give him more than one off season before we start like throwing out these like outrageous labels? And you're right to bring up all these things on the margins that he's done really well. And then we'll see what he does here in a month, uh, in regarding less than a month in regarding to the draft, and he'll have another yeah. off season. He'll have just more we're, options. We're still available learning about Scott, right? And a couple of things we are learning seems like he does not like to be aggressive with prospect promotions. Guys like Meadows and Malloy haven't seen the major leagues. There are reasons they both struggled for spells in Toledo. Cole Keith remains at Double A. They Yuri has now clinched the uh, first half title. Cole Keith. Wasn't magically promoted the next day, even at other levels. He's taking his time with the farm system. Seems like that's going to be his MO a little bit. Maton today, I I said last week, like, I think Maton just needed to go for the mental reset, you know, and Scott Harris addressed this whenever it was he talked to reporters um, early in the week. And, you know, it said, hey, he saw some underlying signs that were encouraging. Still felt Maton was making progress. You know, you can look into the data. His chase rate has slightly lowered each month. He's been hitting breaking balls a little better, using more of the field a little bit. So you like, I could see why Scott might talk himself into that. I was beginning to be of the belief. Belief. I think Scott just doesn't have the mental reset as like one of his philosophies. He would rather wait for the the data and the projection charts to correct themselves, which is something that does happen in baseball. And I think it got to maybe wonder if this experience with Maton is going to teach him something. Um, that if guys get in their heads too much, it can really mess with things, and the prediction charts, projection charts can't account for that. Or it's absolutely possible to leave guys up through struggles too long to where it compounds and it blows up, and then it becomes kind of a very public thing. If you send Maytan down a week ago, you can calmly have him in AJ's office and be like, hey man, we really believe in you, but this just isn't working. We think uh, a couple weeks in Toledo would be good for you. Let's get you right back up here. And you don't do that, and then you wait, and you get send him down after this game where he makes a costly error and misplays another ball he probably should have had in extra innings, and then you option him, and it probably kind of feels punitive, and the fan base is having an uproar and there has to be this big press conference and we have to wait for Maton by his locker and talk to a guy who just got optioned. And it's one of those things that's not really good for anybody. Yeah. And you know, the tough side of the business from y'all's end for sure. is like talk to someone who just had professionally, you know, one of the worst days of his life. Right. And credit for, to Maton, by the way, he didn't stand there and, and talk for a little bit and he took the questions and he answered them. Uh, very professional, like a lot of guys do in that situation. He's going to take it in stride. He's going to go to Toledo. He's going to work, try to be the player he can be. It's really all you can say if you're him. And I think credit's him for standing up and doing it. No, it, it's worth, it is worth noting. And I'll say this, like, you know, with the Nevin thing, like, I have no problem sending down Maton. Like, yeah. my points that I made last week, I think, still stand, though, where it's like, cool. 
<laughs> you know, like well, clearly, like, I think I I was on Twitter. You know, Twitter was just blowing up. People wanting Mates yeah, on out. Take a victory. Then... Yeah, go. People hate on the media for sometimes just too much in society, and it's sort of like the professional thing to kind of take it uh, a lot of times. But I I just want to give you the floor here for a second to be like, come on, people. Like, this has been talked about. We've talked about it. You've written about it. This podcast is free. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, A, you should. B, like, it costs nothing for hear your voice and your opinions about it. Like, this was well covered, was it not? I mean, come on. No, that's the thing that, that set me off is people being like, why doesn't the media ask about this? And it's like, the media has asked about this. It, you know, sometimes that criticism, like last year, every day. When are you going to ask AJ when Scott Coolbaugh has got to be fired? And, like, we asked him about the Coolbaugh thing a couple times throughout the year. It wasn't, you know what's been harped on more than that ever was, was Maton. And it wasn't, like, in an aggressive way. It was trying to figure out his reasoning and then Scott's reasoning. And then these things kind of kept on going. And I think the questions did become a little more straightforward to the tune of, what's the breaking point here? Um, So we've been talking about it for weeks on end. Multiple media members have asked about it in different ways. I had asked about Maton's struggles. So anyone who said, like, I, I don't know. I think people are just always looking for something to blame. And if they can't get through to AJ and Scott, because a player is is uh, doing poorly, maybe they want the media to be their champion a little bit, which is, you know, our job is largely to be a conduit to the fans and to the readers. But that's also, you know, not completely how it works either uh we, we don't go holding pitchforks for angry fans but this has been asked about it had been written about it had been covered and it went on and it went on and it went on and now here we are we, we finally get yeah and, and, and you know the, the the general fan got the result they wanted but again that's where i, I was going you. with this I, I had someone on twitter who throughout the game was like harping get rid of maton and then indicated that the move was probably not in and they're like actually i would rather have maton <laughs> someone literally I mean, did that <laughs> to be honest like generally like take out like you know the fact that maton obviously got to work on some stuff like you're asking me who i feel more comfortable hitting six in the lineup i'd at least uh, tell my wife because you know she's like oh he's just so close you know because he's got these long flyouts. we had that line drive right to the first baseman today and it's like, yeah, that's why he's in, despite all the cro- uh, the the criticism, is because, like, if he can get a hold of one, he can get a hold of one as good as anybody on this team right now. And it's just happened too, too few times, and I understand, like I said, I have no pushback on the demotion, but the, the grass is not greener, I would yeah, say. I think if there's anything people wanted to see, it was probably Parker Meadows. How would you feel about that? Like, what do you think of that idea? To be honest, like, I never got my hopes up with a part, like, like this way, Meadows' uh, ascension, because I just kind of read the tea leaves, and I was like, I just don't think they yeah. they really wanted that. And so, like, I knew it was going to be inevitable. I was like, oh, well, maybe it's a, I mean, I didn't look at the stats or anything. I, I did kind of look at the 40-man, and I was like, oh, well, maybe Wenzel. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe there's, you know, I mean, I was kind of piercing it through and then I saw it and I was like, oh yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be nevin. Like, I never like really thought that they were going to try to manipulate to put like, to adjust the lineup in such a fashion that it would require bringing up Meadows. Like, I just never, I never gave it that much emotional thought because I just kind of knew they wouldn't do it. So like, would it be fun to see Meadows in the majors? Yes. But you also got to keep in mind. Another thing that people like, the first four games next week are against the Texas Rangers, one of the best pitching staffs in baseball. Yeah. So you want to, you want, you want to throw Parker Meadows into the major league baseball fire that way? Is that really what, is that going to be the best thing for him long-term? Like these things matter. No, I, th- I think there's several reasons that didn't happen. One is that Meadows has been up and down. He's on a tear you know, the last couple weeks in Toledo. But again, there's more that goes into this than just looking at the numbers. Oh, he's hot. Let's put him in majors. Tigers face two left-handed starters. All right. Meadows is a left-handed hitter. Nevin's a right-handed hitter. So check Mark and Nevin's box there. Um, you know, you could move McKinstry back to the infield and make it work, but Nevin, more nat- Nevin, you slot right in at third base. 
that's probably a little bit easier. Akil Badu and Riley Green don't know exactly when they're coming back, but if all goes well, shouldn't be too far off. A couple weeks, maybe. And if they both come back up, then you have Meadows, Badu, Green. Then you have too many left-handed hitting outfielders, so then do you just send Meadows back down after, like, you know, 12 games or something? Like, is that actually yeah, you want to jerk him around. Oh, I think those are the reasons we didn't see that. Philosophically, I would probably lean more toward being aggressive in promoting prospects. If they're ready, when they're ready, like, I'd promote Colt Keith to AAA because I don't know what he's getting out of double-A. Um, I don't think I'd promote Parker Meadows to the big leagues because I don't know that I would be confident that he was going to succeed. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, like, should this be the case? I don't know. But I think there'd be a stronger, there'd be a stronger case in my mind to bring up Parker if he got four games against the Royals this week. True. You know what I mean? I th- I think some of that stuff matters. You know, like, may- should it? How much? I-, I don't know. But I think that plays into it. And it's just, it's it, again, it's a middle time for the team. You, you got the uncertainty with all these other outfielders. You don't really want to jerk them around. I'm cool with being aggressive and ascending ball player, like, you know, minor leaguers. I'm cool with that. I have no pushback to that. You know what I, you know what this also makes me think, Cody? I think this is also kind of Scott Harris telling us how he views AAA pitching. Oh, definitely. I I think, like, because it, what's the lone argument for keeping Colt Keith in Erie for any amount of days? Probably that you think he's going to get some higher end potential pitching than he would in Toledo. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah, and that, uh, that, you know, Scott Harris said he needs to see different types of pitching, which I almost took as like, yeah, maybe he's seen a lot of double A pitching now. Maybe he should go to Toledo, and maybe the pure nasty stuff isn't there, but maybe the location's a little better. Maybe the sequencing's a little better. Um, but there are people like the top end stuff at double A is often better than the top end stuff you're gonna see at triple A. Triple A, and that's like, the perfect so, example of yeah, what maybe, we talk about. Maybe that I don't know if that's actually how Scott sees it, but that is certainly could be a view. The same thing with Parker, yeah. the same thing with Meadows. Like Scott even said that like the gap between AAA and the majors is the biggest it's ever been. Just because Meadows is having a good couple weeks right now might not mean that they feel he can translate that to the major leagues. Think about it this way. We're halfway through the year, and has there been like a promotion to the majors of like real note? No. You know what I mean? No. Like where I would argue there were opportunities to do so. I mean, literally, they, like, and, the best we've got is, like, Reese Olsen, who was getting his brains kicked in in Toledo for ass. the most part. And they had ass in Toledo. His last couple starts there were better, but then they, they got to where they literally had no choice. Yeah. Lorenzen was ass in his rehab uh, yeah. in Toledo. So, uh, kind of goes to show you, I don't... I, I think we're kind of seeing, you know, we got to judge fair, unfair, whatever, we kind of got to judge Scott Harris with every action and inaction and kind of try to just judge why, speculate why, that's that's what we do. And I, he hasn't, every single call-up, basically, except for Reese and, you know, you know Brendan White, I guess you, you kind of put in there, ha, has kind of been a guy that you kind of figured was going to be in the majors anyway. Not someone who got himself, like, you know, pushing on the roof or whatever, if that makes sense. So, uh, we didn't even talk about Jay Hen. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, you would have said, like, with the hype in the, in like January, February, we were doing these pods, you probably, like, if I told you, all right, Maton flames out and they got to call up an infielder and we're into basically July. We'll say basically July. You will probably said, "All right, kind of seems like that might be Jay Hen's time." Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I mean, I didn't even see. I mean, I could have missed it, but I didn't see like a lot of clamoring for Jay Hen no, to get the call I up mean, this time. Yeah, when just we were talking about it as the writers, I think that was 
like almost the easiest one to brush off. Well, you face two left-handed starters. Jaden's hitting one something against lefties in AAA. How do you think that's going to go? Maton's going down, not just because of the bat, but because he's been really bad at third base. Voice <laughs> might be worse at third base. Yeah, and and, we, yeah. and and Malloy's been in a little bit of a downslide, you know, cooled off and is now kind of leveling out a little bit in Toledo. Yeah, and we didn't even mention when you talked about his struggles in the field, Maton today didn't even mention that he really should have had two throwing errors. Yeah, Torkelson, Torkelson, uh, the all-time great defensive first baseman. <laughs> People, I didn't say he's bad on defense. He's great at scoops, making plays on the bag. He's very bad at batted balls. That's what all the numbers reflect. That's what my eyes see as well. Let, let, let's not uh, spend too much time on it, but I just want to say like, there's a little bit of an irony that like the athletic part of being a first baseman, which in theory you want him to be like a more athletic first baseman, right? Like That's his physical body type, all that stuff. Uh, it is kind of ironic that he displays supreme athleticism in one aspect of playing first base and not in another. Yeah. So that's all, I, that's all I wanted to say. I just think it's kind of funny. Uh, by the way, a side note here for a second, Cody. I really thought, I really thought they are going to give Willie Castro an infield hit there. I really did <laughs> on that. Like and then and then the air scored the run. Like I thought they were going to give an infield hit because it looked like Willie was going to beat the throw anyway yeah. because Maton misplayed it even before the throw as oh, you pointed such out a bad on Twitter. Reaction. Oh gosh. Uh yeah, so like that that, that play was five ways sideways from uh from a feeling perspective for Maton. I thought they were going to give Castro the hit. I really <laughs> did. Because yeah. he busted his ass down the line. He beat the throw. Like he was like if that throw was on target, I don't think Willie was uh, I I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I think he would have beat the throw. I think he would have been beat, but it was going to be a close play. So I thought I was waiting for it because there's some been some more yeah, people. No, it, it, not that anything the, would surprise me. At, <laughs> not just Comerica Park. Really, all of baseball seems like it's been uh, exceptionally pronounced at Comerica this year. But again, their official scores get some of the blame, but they are following edicts from Major League Baseball. Like, literally, this is a real thing to... Call less errors, juice up batting average, juice up hits so that, I don't know, the league thinks it makes them look better or something, which I think is ridiculous. Yeah, which, like, I disagree with it, but I understand, like, I I also, I'm like, okay. I mean, I don't know. If you want to be, like, a little more, like, one plays such as the Maton one and be like, oh, no, that's going to be a hit. A ball that bounces a... Soft hit ball that bounces right off Jonathan Scope's glove. Like, what are we doing? In I mean, what world? Is that? Uh, yeah, you know. I'm just saying it's not unique to Major League Baseball to try to uh, juice up the things that they that right. the studies like football has done this every step of the way with offense and rule changes. And I mean, what do you think the three pointer was in basketball? Yeah. Right. So I, I'm just like I think it's dumb, but you and I are purists at heart. That's it's not for us, right? So that's that, that's really the uh, that, that's really the point there. Uh, real quick, spend a couple minutes here, Cody, on uh, on Reese Olson. We haven't really talked about it that much because I think I don't think I don't want to speak for you, but I was kind of like, ah, you know, I don't really know if I really like believe it, and now I kind of think, all right, this guy might be a dude. That's all. I'm not overhyping it or whatever. This guy might be a dude, a rosy cheeked. MFR on Saturday, uh, who was dialing, just dialing. Uh, I was impressed. And what is he? I think he's about to turn 24. He's a guy that has a pretty good combination of hype to under the radar. Like, it's a pretty, we've talked about him a little bit, but he doesn't, he's not like, uh, oh my God, I can't wait for the the, the C. Reese Olsen pitch guy. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I've been impressed by him. I think he's making things interesting. We talked about reinforcements coming up for the rotation. I think he's a guy that kind of makes it interesting about what those decisions will be. Tigers do have a lot of tricky decisions coming up. In terms of Reese Olsen, his start against the Twins was fire. It was electric. 3,000 RPM slider, and most importantly, you know he was dotting the fastball, throwing it on both corners. 
that's been kind of the thing. We know he has a really good slider that he's developed the past couple years. He's always had a very good changeup. It was the fastball that could be hittable, that he could struggle with command. That's what's got him in trouble, even in the little we've seen of him in the majors. And what was it, Saturday night against the Twins, the fastball was just absolutely on point. And because he got some quick outs with the fastball, because he got in good counts, that allowed him to use the slider a higher percentage of the time. He wasn't having to throw the fastball and attempt to get strikes. What this kind of tells me long-term, I know there are a couple people within the org who agree with me. Like, I think Reese Olsen's probably a reliever. And that's not to be like a knock on him. Look at what Alex Lane does. 60% 60% you know, curveballs, and it's nasty. And I think Reese Olsen's breaking stuff is that level good that you can follow that model with him. On the off chance, he's able to consistently do his fastball like the other night. I mean, that could be a different conversation because that was a really, really high-end start. But based on what we know and have seen from Reese Olsen as a professional, um that's probably going to be hard for him to achieve every time out. I, but I think he could be a really good reliever without any doubt. Three of his five starts, he's given up two earned runs or less. That's interesting. Makes you wonder. And, you know, the hits, you know, he had a, he had to eat it against Atlanta, but other than that, like he's, He's so fine. Think, you know what? You know what he's doing. He's approaching Kerry Carpenter territory for me, ooh, where yeah. like it, not not necessarily how Carpenter is now, but like last year was like, I don't know. Is there anything really wrong with Reese Olson? Yeah. Is there anything really wrong with him? Yeah. You know that's kind of how I think right now. That we could have another discussion. Like, is it time for Kerry Carpenter to get some ABs against lefties, which theoretically probably sets him up to fail and the numbers to come down a little bit. <laughs> but at what point? At what point do you just accept, like, this guy just keeps hitting, man. Like, is some is Tyler Nevin really a better option to be in that day's lineup than Kerry Carpenter? We're pretty close to having that conversation a lot more. Uh, I would answer yes, number one. Number two. I'm in the camp of yes, I, actually. And I, I, have, I, I believe uh, in platoons and all that, but, like, what, what used to be AJ saying? Let's let them prove like, that they can't, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, For this team right now, yeah. like... Yeah. I'd go back to I, that I, way of thinking, at least with Carpenter, because yeah. that's how, how good he's been. And if he hits 100 and a bigger sample of at-bats against lefties, then then there's your answer. As it relates to Reese Olsen, I think he's going to have to do that another time or two to stay in the rotation. We got Matt Manning coming in. He'll take over this spot that has been filled with bullpen days. Scooble should be back soon. And I guess Joey Wentz would probably be most likely to go to the Probably Toledo, maybe the bullpen, more likely Toledo. And then when Eduardo comes back, if assuming everyone else is still healthy, which is a massive assumption, that probably means Reese either goes to the bullpen or AAA. But if he's pitching lights out, then then you got to have some long, hard talks and, and maybe look at things in a little bit of a different light. I do want to mention... And I don't want to talk about it very long because it would just lead to all kinds of speculation that is not fair and unhealthy. But it's a the Turnbull situation continues to be weird. And I say that because this is a guy who was, again, demoted and then said I was hurt and you know got the doctors and second opinions and all that stuff. Goes on the IL and those injury updates give you nothing about Spencer Turnbull it's not like progression it's it's sort of like and again I'm not saying he's like dogging his injury or you know whatever I'm not making any accusation I'm just saying that for a guy that the team didn't believe was injured until he like brought it up and yeah. and there's no and it's been I don't know like a month like it all runs together and no real progress about like what he's doing or whatever because I assume he's rehabbing, he's doing everything he can. It's just mm-hmm. weird. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying it's weird. Optically, it looks strange. That's yeah, all I'm it remains as optically weird as it was in the beginning. Like despite we thought maybe it was kind of cleared up, and it's it's pretty clear there. Like not Russian Turnbull back. I think it's also clear guy had a real injury. You know. Yeah. Like yeah. he's been out for a long time. He had to really slow play it before he wasn't even feeling pain in his neck. 
thinking, even hearing Spencer talk a little bit, I think he's, he's finally just getting to the point where he's not having the pain. He's starting to throw a little bit, but I don't know what the recover, what the timeline looks like for him pitching again. Definitely seems like it's out of sight, out of mind right now. Oh, uh, real quick, Cody, I do have an update on that relates to Kerry Carpenter. It's that, um, my wife would like to take out Andre Lipschitz from her top five and replace him with Carrie Carpenter. So Carpenter is in the top five, and she said she wouldn't mind the jersey shirt. So that's that's the ultimate wow. stamp of approval. Wow. So well, that's about as think, big a step as Carpenter could have. that's probably a good decision for her. Yeah. Uh, that's good. I've been around a lot of religious people. I think Carrie Carpenter is like the most religious person I've ever met in my life. Really? He's just he's just always on, which, uh, you know. Good for him. I, I got no problem with. Good for him. But it's that's just my observation. If you want to know more about Carpenter, that's that's the type of guy he is. Nice, wholesome guy. Where is he from? Is he a southern gentleman? He's from, he's from Florida. So eh. I don't know what people consider Florida, but yeah. Yeah, it's kind of its own little island, you know, it's three three quarters of an island, right? Um, (laughs) All right, lost in the sauce of all this stuff this week was, I thought AJ had some, I always think AJ. comments is what I'm calling I don't think AJ says things by accident. I think that's. I don't think he has ever done that a single time in his life. Yeah. And, you know, this homestand, especially when you got the first place team coming in, it's like, oh, you know, this is like, you know, could get some real headway here. And he he said something to the effect of like, we can't really like look at standings right now. Like we haven't earned the right, I think is pretty close to a direct quote that he said. exactly what he said, yeah. We haven't earned the right. And I love that because here's the thing. We... This, I hope this doesn't come across as a dig at Scott Harris, but what do we just talk about with Scott Harris where it's like everything he's done is the first time, right? That's what happens when you hire a first-time president of baseball ops. Nothing wrong with that. That's just that's how it goes. This ain't AJ's first time. AJ knows what like a real contender looks like. AJ knows like the mindset that a manager has to have when you have a legitimate World Series contender and also what it looks like when they're ascending. And he knows what level the Tigers are at because he's been at that level before. And he also knows the difference at the levels above. He ain't no fool. Mama Hinch ain't raised no fool there, right? <laughs> so I thought it was it, it was very it was very interesting. It was very like like. By the way, why do how do you get people? I know he talks to the media more and all that stuff. But how do you get people to get behind? Say some real s stuff like that. And then and, and people will get behind you. Uh, there's a little yeah. lesson for Scott Harris. But you were there. I mean, I thought it was poignant. I thought it was important. And it kind of played out pretty accurately <laughs> the next couple of days. Unfortunately, that is true. You know, I know of at least one uh, loyal listener, Tigers employee, who didn't like these comments from AJ. And I'm going to be honest. I think that's ridiculous, man. Like, I... I I don't think AJ was at all trying to diminish uh, support for the team or tell fans not to have expectations or any of that. He was doing the opposite. He was saying, yeah, we have expectations. They need to be higher. We need to have standards around here, which I think is tremendous leadership. He was saying, I'm not okay with being three and a half games back in the AL Central and people patting us on the head like he said, like we're a, a nice team that's trying hard which I thought was a tremendous line. He's like, nice. We, we want to be taken seriously. AJ wants this club to be taken seriously and they are not there yet. And until they are, you can't make too much of being somewhat in the race in a really bad division. So how do you change that? You play better, you play better for a long time and you beat some people until then. Everything is a distraction. Like what? Like I just thought, I just thought it was a masterclass and a great communications. You talked again, like what, direction is Scott Harris setting well AJ just spoke the truth all he did was speak the truth he didn't pretend that it's something it's not okay and I don't like when teams or or PR departments or 
whatever try to insult the intelligence of their fans. Like our listeners, my readers, the majority of people have a good grasp of what this team is. Doesn't mean they don't want them to win. Doesn't mean that they don't believe, hey, maybe these guys catch lightning in a bottle and make some little magical run. It's unlikely, but every now and then, strange things like that can happen in sports. But the reality is, even to do that, like you got to play better than you're playing right now. It's not going to happen if you're the 29th ranked offense all year. And that was kind of every day AJ kind of gets asked, do you look at the standings? What do you think about being X number of games back? And he does kind of the general, well, you know, we're just trying to win today. And I guess he had just like gotten sick of talking about it. And he, he kind of went off a little bit on why he doesn't want to talk about it. And yeah, the whole like one day at a time thing is the subtext there. But the point was broader. The point was you got to raise the bar around this place. And I think when you're hearing that from the top guy, that's a good thing to hear. You don't raise the bar by settling for being in third or fourth place and under 500. You raise the bar by aiming higher and not doing a victory lap for being a mediocre team. It kind of reminded me, like, uh, you know who's great at, like, setting, saying, like, the real stuff is Pistons GM Troy Weaver. And I think during one of his, like, postseason slash pre-draft press conferences, he says something to the effect, you know, asks, like, what the team needs or whatever. And he's like, I don't know. We won 17 games last year. Like, <laughs> we need a lot. We need a lot. Yeah. Uh, and so, so yeah, AJ's keeping it real, man. Like, that ain't nothing wrong with keeping it real. And I, it's needed. It's needed is what it is because, like, players can't be getting comfortable uh, in, in terms of, like, this status. And I don't know if they are or not already, but just look at the way he's managing these games. Like, he is... I know the Twins won today. I know, the, and I think Rocco's fine manager. I mean, AJ out chess moved him today. He really did, and like he managed that to win. He, you look at the way he manipulates lineups and the other teams, and thinking three moves ahead, and yeah. the short leashes he has at times for guys. Like he, like at that, that mate on air is a perfect example of what he's managing for because he was like chasen's only gonna have to face two pitchers i'm not gonna have to worry about whatever before the righties come up and blah blah blah. and then you know boom that 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 change or in castro's case like you know whatever you understand what i'm saying and so shout out friend of the pod willie castro who has just torched the tigers <laughs> by the way by the way there's actually like a good record of former tigers uh the alavila tigers uh kind of holding the torch for al as they all exit the team at the same time it's uh it's quite something. Uh, I, I I gotta be honest. Uh, but anywho, I, I may have gotten a little stray comment from AJ. Uh, you know, because Willie Castro had thanked AJ for having him play different positions. Uh, so AJ <laughs> did, made sure to bring that up to me, and then I then I got to be like, "Well, you non tendered him. <laughs> you love him so much. Why'd you non tender him?" <laughs> Oh boy, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see how see how it goes for good old Willie. And of course, he goes to the division leading team and and all this stuff. Uh, by the way, I thought he was out at second base. I understand why they call stood, but I thought he was out at second base there. But didn't really matter. But just a general point. All right, I have a very loose theory, Cody, that I wanted to kind of run by you and just kind of see see what the merit level is. It could be it could be zero. I wouldn't be offended. I was trying to think, like, is there some real tangible reason the Tigers are piss poor with runners in scoring position? And I believe they're batting around a little less than 230. If I'm a little off, I'm sorry, but I believe that's the number I grab. Here's my theory. I think that this new hitting approach, this patient approach, this taking the right pitches approach, I think that works beautifully overall but in those scrutinized moments i think sometimes i have found i thought i would have liked to see the hitters runners on second and third bases loaded just runner on second i'd like to see him a little bit more aggressive maton took a pitch in in the ninth i know there wasn't a runner on in, in, in scoring position but he took a pitch in the ninth that I was like that's your pitch that's the one you gotta try to hose and i think the ramifications of this new hitting approach this patient approach is that it 
takes back a little bit of the aggressiveness that I think when you come up in a key spot with runners in scoring position and the crowd, home or away, really, because crowds kind of get loud at the same time no matter where you are, you know. It's kind of the funny things about baseball. Uh, when the when the vibes are up and the crowd noise is up and, you know, there's a high-pressure situation, I think that kind of calls for a little bit of a more aggressive mentality. And I think the back, like I said, the drawback to this overall good new hitting approach is that you're a little more passive, a little more timid, or maybe just not as aggressive as you should be in that moment overall. It's not an analytical thing, obviously, but I just think like that's something that I kind of drum up in my mind, and I wonder if there's 1% truth to it at all. I don't know. That's an interesting theory. Maybe you could get a couple more runs in the runner in scoring position if you alter your approach. I would argue probably maintain a good approach because the point of that is getting balls you can drive so you can get, create extra base hits so you can knock in not one run but multiple runs here's my reasoning for why the tigers are terrible at hitting in with runners in scoring position and it is rooted in some of the most simple math you've ever heard the tigers entered sunday hitting 227 with runners in scoring position would you care to guess what their overall batting average is 234 229 <laughs> So they suck at hitting with runners in scoring position because they suck at hitting in general. They are hitting almost exactly the same with the runners in scoring position as they are overall. Sometimes their situational hitting could be better. There's a little bit of flukiness to uh, runners in scoring position. That's why the RBI stat has become devalued. But I don't think it's as complicated as we would like to make it. These at-bats are magnified when it's a big spot and there are ducks on the pond. But at the end of the day, it seems so bad because Tigers don't have a lot of very good hitters. Well, by the way, if they were a well-hitting team like the Rangers, who I think bat 270, uh, if you had if you had the same average, you probably wouldn't be that upset. But right, right. <laughs> so the Rangers hit 312 with runners in scoring position. So they're they're a little above, you know, a decent bit above. Um, So maybe that's interesting. Maybe maybe it's just as simple as get more talent. I mean, it's... I think that would solve about a million things. Well, speaking of getting talent... The Atlanta Braves are a really good team. They hit 234 with runners in scoring position. You know why they're still a really good team? They hit 271 overall. They got guys on base a lot. <sighs> what a weird sport. Love it. Uh, speaking of getting talent, Cody, your colleague Keith Law, friend of the podcast, had himself a mock draft this week. And Max Clark. Max Clark is Keith, the pick. Keith's always got some content for us, man. I, I love I love you, Keith. You, we, we talked about it last week a little bit. We've kind of, you know, like, oh, the workout, this, that. And then shortly afterward, Keith. Puts Max Clark at three. The LSU Tigers go one and two. And so that would be the shakeup of the draft. Not the disruptor that a Kyle Teal pick would be, but that would be the shakeup of the draft. Uh, we're around the time, Cody, I think, that like in the previous years, we started through your reporting. I say we, but you know it's obviously your reporting. Kind of got some tea leaf stuff. Like we were, We knew the Joe pick was coming. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and last year, young, like we knew they liked him, but we didn't necessarily think he'd fall there. And it was also, you know, picking at that point is different than picking third overall, right? So, yeah. I don't know. I I feel like, do you have anything? Because it's 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 getting to that time. It's getting to that Starting time. To, again, things are more tight-lipped under the Harris regime. There's no doubt about that. I think slowly starting to glean a little more. But I'm not reporting anything as fact, all right? So I'm not being I'm not being shams here. Don't go place bets based on anything I'm about to say. This is more of an educated guess than it is reporting or a firm prediction. But I think it's probably more likely Max Clark goes one than he goes three. Hmm. I'm also not saying he goes one, but I think I think Kylie McDaniel might have been the one. Someone put out there that Clark's camp is kind of floating that he would take an underslot deal if there's a team that wants to take him one oh, or two. The Chris Hiller special. Just kidding. Uh, yeah, ooh, 
Um, and then, you know, the, we saw the Pirates do that with uh, with Outfielder Henry Davis, Davis, by the way. <laughs> yeah, outfielder Henry Davis. And the Orioles did that with Heston Kerstad at number two. Like, that can happen. Now, again, I don't know, you know, if, if you got the number one pick, you're really going to pass on Cruz or, or Skeens, you know, just to cut an underslot deal. I don't know. You better have someone else you really like and think you can get with that money. But I don't, I don't see the Clark thing happening. It's looking like one or two of Langford and Cruz are going to be there. Most likely Langford. I think everything right now is pointing to Langford being the most likely pick for the Tigers. With the caveat, we got a couple weeks left. Things can change. You can always fall in love with a prospect. And... You know what's a little interesting? No one's mentioning like Jenkins to the Tigers. Or yeah. I don't know what the Tigers think of Jenkins. I have not heard his name once. Like almost eerily quiet. So there's that too. Didn't have a leaked workout. I know that. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Because I assume they worked him out just because you they would, should. You would, they should. You would think. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't have a leaked workout there. But for now, I think Langford is not only the most likely pick, I think it's the pick that makes the most sense. I think it's kind of interesting, too, that Clark is willing to go under slot. It's interesting. Uh, you know, yeah. more power to him. Do whatever you want, yeah. bro. You know? Uh, but, yeah, Lankford, as we're recording, playing right now in the College World Series, trying to get Florida to a Game 3, an old, uh, old deciding Game 3. So, had a infield single, if that inspires anybody for the, for the Tigers. Uh, all right, Cody. So, you are... By the time people are listening to this, you're going to be in route slash already in Texas... The boys are getting together, hopefully, weather permitting. Uh, the weather holds up. <laughs> so we, Wait, one, I make it to the airport on time, and then I don't rush for no reason because the flight gets delayed. Yeah. I feel like that's looking like it might happen. Yeah, so uh, uh, we'll wrap this up a little short. Uh, you can follow Cody on Twitter, at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. The pod page is at Turn Corner Pod. Follow us on YouTube, Turn the Corner Podcast. Subscribe. Hit that bell if that's what, if that's what you're into. Subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Subscribe, rate, and review, as uh, as they say. And, Cody, looking forward to this week. I'm going to be at every Tigers-Rangers game this week. Looking forward to it. Got my dad my whole family going on Monday, wife and I on Tuesday. And I'm probably just going to do it solo Wednesday and Thursday. It's like, hey, why not? My boy's in town. The team's in town. Why the hell not? What am I going to do, sit on my couch? Nah, I'd rather I'd rather be, uh, be out there uh, enjoying some... Some air-conditioned baseball, as it is currently 102 degrees in my uh, in my home in my town. So, for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody, thank you for listening, and have a great week. <laughs>